Okay, so I will talk about Guyanese migration since independence and try to connect what have been the impact of uh, uh, contextual factors as well as migration policies, the role of post-colonial ties, and I will also hint at the role of, at the role of migrant networks. Uh, this is part of a broader research uh, where I look at the role of the state, uh, the origin country states in particular, and its policies, and its effect of international migration. But in this case, I look specifically at independence and post-colonial ties on migration patterns to and from Guyana in the period between 1950 and 1980. Actually, my title perhaps is a bit misleading, but I thought I would focus on this period uh, to start with. I think uh, that looking at independence uh, specifically uh, can offer us very valuable insights and help us explore some of the dynamics that perhaps have been left largely unexplored up, up to date. Uh, the way in which I consider independence is a way in which I want to look at what happens when there are pre-existing migration patterns and a border, and a border regime is instituted. What does it do to that migration uh, flow? Uh, what, how does the state formation process affect international migration? Um, how do newly independent governments think about migration? Do they create policies? Do they think it's problematic? Do they perhaps arrange bilateral agreements in order to regulate such migration? Uh, the, the, the concept of post-colonial uh, post ties uh, is also uh, very often using quantitative studies, but it's often very briefly and succinctly de defined as social, cultural, educational, institutional connections that there are between the former colonial state and uh, the former colonial subjects. But beyond that, it's uh, really not explained what is expected to be the effect, aside from the, uh, the fact that they have form some sort of privileged relations. But it's not further ex examined to understand, for instance, how long do we expect post-colonial ties to have an effect? Do we expect them to always have an effect? I'm focusing on Guyana, just a few facts on Guyana. It is in South America, but it is considered to be part of the Caribbean region, actually, because of its history. Uh, it is, its history is based, obviously, in a, a plantation economy, uh, which has shaped not only the economy, but the population that lives there. So the various labor movements that were shaped by the British Empire have created a very ethnically diverse population. So we have the uh, African, people of African descent from, that were brought over as slaves, followed by indentured laborers who came primarily from India, but also from Portugal and Hong Kong. So the population is quite diverse. And this has generated severe ethnic tensions over, over the years. Now, why do I think that Guyana is an interesting case study to look at independence and post-colonial ties? Uh, British Guyana uh, was a, a colony of Britain until 1966. It was always considered to be rather marginal and peripheral. It was not a very highly productive colony, a very problematic landscape, a lot of rainforest difficult to, to control and manage. So it was not very highly populated. Uh, about, uh, in, in 1960, it had about half a million people. Uh, concerning migration, also, it was not very important compared to Jamaica, where uh, the migrant population was about 12% of the population in 1960. From Guyana, we only had about 6% of the population uh, residing abroad. But this 
uh, has changed completely over the years, and by 2010 we have about 57% of Guyanese-born individuals living abroad. But what I thought was also very interesting was the fact that over the decade, from 1960 to 1970, when there's independence, rather than seeing steady or increasing population living abroad, we have a reduction of the population living abroad, which surprised me a little bit because I expected independence perhaps to create uncertainty and perhaps more emigration. But most importantly, what I uh, surprised me was the fact that what we expect to be the post-colonial ties, so individuals moving to the United Kingdom through the independence process wasn't occurring at all here. So what is going on and why aren't post-colonial ties working in this case? So I started wondering, what is independence? What does independence mean for international migration? And among many other factors, I thought for independence, perhaps there are two major structural changes. First, we have the establishment of national borders. And second, we have the establishment of the new citizenship. These factors altogether could create two different reactions. On one hand, we have high levels of uncertainty, high risk and so probably a uh, uh, propensity towards migration. On the other hand, actually independence could be a time of opportunity for people who might see economic opportunities or also they are connected to the political uh, power. And so they could, have, they could advance actually through independence. So already just by thinking a bit more thoroughly about independence, I realized that there may be various propensities towards migration that are caused by, by independence. I also thought that it might be useful to think about what, uh, um, considering the fact that there is the establishment of a border regime, uh, to consider what Heinde House has called migration substitution effects. So what does a policy, the introduction of a policy do to, the, uh, to migration flows. And so I started exploring with some ideas and I put together some ideal type models. And in this first model, we see that the introduction of independence and border regime has caused a spike in uh, emigration and what Heinz has called intertemporal substitution effect. So what, what we see is that we have this spike of immigration, but then we have a reduction of immigration, either because the policies are um, to enter other countries are limiting entry, or because the situation in the country actually has settled down, and there are conditions that are not as bad as people might have anticipated in some situations. But what we also see here is that there are two other forms of substitu substitution effect. One of them is that the individuals who might have had a network, for instance, in the UK, are able to continue migrating to the UK using other channels. So no more just freedom of migration, but it's family reunification for study. So there's some uh, categorical substitution. At the same time, for those individuals who want to migrate, but for which there are no channels in the former colonial state, there is migration to alternative destinations. So here we have spatial substitution effects. So we see that there is a diversification of migration as a result of, of this. But what I also realized, as I was looking at this a bit more closely, is that the introduction of a border regime does not necessarily occur at the time of independence. Decolonization process and independence, it does, although there's one date for independence, but the processes actually are much more long term. So what can happen is that a border regime can be introduced before, at, or after independence. And what we see in this case is a representation of what happens when a border regime is introduced before independence. 
even in this case, we see that we have some intertemporal substitution effects. So we have two spikes of emigration, which are triggered by this uh, structural change. But uh, to a certain extent, some people might not migrate when the border is introduced because they might want to wait and see. After all, there's no change of government. There are no other structural changes except for the introduction of a migration policy. Um, but then as independence nears, then individuals might um, decide that uh, the conditions that are being set up are not ideal for them and they decide to migrate. But in the meantime, the borders that would have been open towards the former colonial state have been closed. So there, the, the opening then might be elsewhere. So rather than migrating towards the former colonial state, they have to migrate elsewhere. So in this case, we see that the spatial substitution might be stronger than in the first case. And what we also may think is that the post-colonial ties, in this case, are much weaker because the border was closed when people, not so many people were desiring to go. By the time they wanted to go, the border had already been closed. So, so that, that these were some of the ideas I played around with as I started looking at the data. And this is the data for Guyana. So this is Guyanese emigration uh, by destination. Uh, the reason why I showed the line of the total flows is because this aggregation by destination is not available for this period where there's the gap. Uh, so I didn't want you to think that there was no emigration at that time. But here I just want to give you some facts of what happened over the years in Guyana to put it a bit into, into context. Um, so in 1962, the UK, introduces the first immigration act. And what this act does is it prevents, it stops free migration from the colonies, and in this case from the British West Indies, towards the UK uh, by requiring unemployment voucher. So unless you had a job, and uh, you could not move to the United Kingdom. And right away, the authorities in British Guyana realized that there was uh, uh, an increase in migration that was not present before. And here I quote, due to the fear that legislation would be enacted in the United Kingdom prohibiting immigration, there was an increase in migration in 1962. So they had already observed it in their documents. And then they also state that, but due to the policy of the United Kingdom, we see a drop to about half the level of the previous year in 1963. So people had, in fact, reacted to the policy. But I also want to uh, make the point that while this is important, we should not forget the fact that in Guyana, in, it was British Guyana at that point, there were some major uh, events that were occurring. Uh, ethnic violence was increasing. Uh, the political situation was becoming very tense, and the period between 1962 and 64 was actually very critical. It was filled with a lot of violence. There were strikes, demonstrations that erupted into uh, great violence. And then in 1964, we have the election of the People's uh, National Congress, which is uh, mainly uh, supported by the Afro-Guyanese. This also uh, means that uh, the party that was supported by the United States came to power. And as a result of that, the United States gave, started giving a lot of um, aid, financial aid, to, to uh, British Guyana. And in, in the literature, I found reference to the fact that this actually was a very critical moment because it almost signified the, um, that the United Kingdom became irrelevant in its own colony because the United States had been behind a lot of the political decisions, now was making financial contribution. It was very dominant and very visible. 
This is just a reference to keep in mind uh, for what happens later. So um, I think it's important here to see that we see the first intertemporal um, substitution effect in, in 1962. We see again with the uh, arrival of independence in 1966 another intertemporal substitution effect. But even here, what I find striking is the fact that Migration to the United Kingdom actually remained quite stable, while migration to other destinations, including the other British West Indies and Canada and the US, became more important. Um, in, then independence came, some uh, uh, um, economic reforms were brought in, uh, the Prime Minister started pursuing corporate socialism, which meant nas nationalization of foreign-owned enterprises, including uh, more and more uh, security, uh, and even here, uh, ethnic violence started to, to escalate. But one move uh, that was made by the government, which I found very interesting, that they promoted, starting in 1967, an immigration policy, or a re-emigration policy, depending on the documents. But they wanted to attract individuals, so Guyanese who were abroad, and other West Indians to come to Guyana for, development, for the development of Guyana. And this was made very public. You can find it in the media at the time. It was very public that the Prime Minister was going around saying, you come to Guyana, this is a place where you want to um, come and help uh, develop um, a newly independent country. And although the program was not uh, effective in terms of numbers, it did not attract a large amount of people, but it did attract uh, individuals who were skilled and could help with the development of the country. I find it interesting, though, that at the time of independence, what we see is we see some increase of emigration, but also increase of return. So as I was saying earlier, that there are some individuals who find independence to be a period of uncertainty and high risk. There are also those who think that this is a time of opportunity, actually. Um, and this might have followed some, uh, some ethnic lines. But, um, so what happened uh, is that in the 1970s, then, the mid-1970s, the situation started becoming very um, dire in, uh, in Guyana, both politically, uh, economically. Um, there was the oil crisis that uh, uh, practically made the, the prices of the goods drop, and because um, so the economy was not doing very well, and it stated that by 1980s, Guyana was on its knees. And here we see that there's increasing internal migration from the rural areas, also due to internal policies of not supporting, um, uh, not supporting agricultural development, and we have increasing international migration. So what we see here, we, two main patterns. Um, we have a shift away from the United Kingdom to the United States, but also the composition of migrants changed significantly. While before, Afro-Guyanese seemed to be dominant in the, um, well, seemed to migrate in larger numbers than it was the Indo-Guyanese that became um, much more mobile. So I'm just going to make a couple of, of quick points. Uh, there were migration policies happening in the United States and in Canada, which actually opened up. So while the UK was closing the policies uh, in Canada and the US, they were opening. Um, and just some preliminary insights. It seems like, in fact, the 62 UK Immigration Act uh, had some intertemporal substitution effects and also some spatial substitution effects. 
independence had an effect on emigration, but also on return. So there were movement going back and forth. The shift from the UK to the US and Canada is due to the policies, but we shouldn't forget that the shift to the US and Canada became much, much, much bigger. So there were also factors internal to Guyana that were promoting migration. It wasn't just about the policies. About uh, post-colonial ties, um, it seems like for Guyana, they were activated by the 62 policy, but they were also quickly ended by, this, by the 62 policies because there was this distribution and destination uh, towards the North America. And also, I think, perhaps, the role of the US in, uh, in the politics of Guyana uh, and, and its state in its dominance in the region might have had a role in that. But post-colonial ties are very important for intra-regional migration within the, the Caribbean. And then, uh, lastly, um, I have not explored this uh, enough yet, but why didn't the networks in the UK help migration after, uh, in the post-1970 period, when people needed to migrate? I suspect that the networks created before independence were just very small, and they were, they were comprised of individuals of a specific category. They were the elite, they were intellectuals, and uh, um, perhaps they were mainly Afro-Guyanese. I, I, I don't know this for sure. But when there was return, many of these individuals actually returned to Guyana. And when it was time to, re to emigrate now from, from Guyana, uh, the network was not strong enough. And perhaps those who, were, who could have uh, helped support migration towards the UK were just not um, uh, willing to help other people come to, to the UK. And for most of Guyanese who might have needed to migrate in mid-1970s, and again here it's primarily Indo-Guyanese to start with, practically the UK was not an, wasn't an option. It was closed for the policies and it was closed for the networks. And so they found opportunities elsewhere. And um, this, is, this is it. Just here, I think it's important to think uh, of origin country determinants, the policies, but also the processes and the timing and how things have occurred. Moments of transitions are also moments of confrontation, so there are opportunities and threats, and, um, and that's the end.